I wanted to start this episode with a minute of a moment of silence for Eric Gardner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Freddie Gray, Philando Castile, Atatiana Jefferson, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Rayshard Brooks, and the countless Black and Indigenous men, women, and children in Canada and around the world who have been dismissed and have unjustly lost their lives. Welcome to the season finale of What's Your Hustle. I want to thank all of you for listening and joining me on this ride. We've only just gotten started. I am ending this season with friends of the podcast, Cheryl Ann and Audrey. We have a blunt and honest conversation about offhanded racism within our own lives, the unspoken inequality and injustice within our city, our country, and the other countries that have ignited and inspired our drive for change and sought out justice for black and indigenous lives that have been ignored for too long. So let's get into it. Here's what's your hustle, what we're fighting for, with my guests, Cheryl Ann Ramden and Audrey Powell. Hey listeners, it's Halima with What's Your Hustle, and I am virtually with Cheryl Ann Ramden and Audrey Powell, friends of mine, guests of the previous episodes of this podcast. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. Rainy Sunday, you know, we're just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know why I'm doing hand motions. They can't see me, so I'm good. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Cheryl Ann and Audrey are joining me here today because, as it's been in the news, what feels like constantly and we I'm ashamed that we have to say this because it hasn't changed um it's racial inequality and injustice is what we're going to be talking about today and the reason that I wanted to address it is we live in Canada everybody thinks that Canada is so perfect because we sometimes say our please and thank yous we say sorry when we don't mean to say sorry we hold doors open, we, you know, we want to be inclusive. Um, People from other countries want to move here because they think we're so nice. And I don't disagree that we are hospitable. I disagree that we are perfect. Because Canada, especially, I feel, kind of the city we live in, um, Edmonton, Alberta, we have a race problem. We have an injustice problem. And... It is towards 
absolutely what is going on today, Black lives and Indigenous lives, and um, the ladies are here today to speak on this because we all play a kind of a part in a role because it is our duty as non-white women to speak on it because it's affecting us. And I was hoping that for Sherilyn, if you could share with me some of your background, your family, your history, and we can go from there. So, well, first of all, I want to say thank you to Halima for using her platform just so we can speak about this because it is an important topic. And I don't think we should be shying away from it. Um, I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so my my background is I am Trinidadian. Um, so for those that don't know, the, uh, Trinidad and Tobago is um, an island off the coast of Venezuela in the Caribbean. Um, and digging more deeper into that, so I am Black, Indian, um, a hint of Spanish, apparently. I, it's debatable, but it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> And I, I, I was born in Canada. Uh, I've lived in Edmonton all my life. Um, my parents were born in Trinidad and they moved here. Uh, my dad moved here first in the 60s, 69, 68, around there. Um, and he moved here for school and my mom also followed from there. It's me. <laughs> and Audrey. <laughs> so I'm um, born and raised Canadian. Um, I am Indigenous and German, and my, uh, my on my mom's side, so my mom and grandmother and the whole mom's side of the family were from the Northwest Territories. There's an area called, uh, it's near um, Great Bear Lake, and our heritage is Dene. So um, with that, and then German on my dad's side, born and raised in Alberta, and I've moved around a little bit, and actually only really started to reconnect with the Indigenous side of myself, honestly, in the last, like, four years. I was so whitewashed growing up, didn't even realize or recognize that about myself growing up at all, other than, like, little, you know, remarks that kids would make or whatever, but um, just really have come to it late, I guess, and, and started to be proud of my, my heritage. Um, I'm actually like a card carrying like band member of like my mom's native band up north, but not like I don't have status or anything like that. But um, yeah, just connecting with the indigenous <laughs> side of myself in the last few years. And um, yeah, just rocking out in Edmonton for now. So yeah. So what in the last four years made you feel like you had to connect to that side of you? I think it was, honestly, it was a lot of the the stories that started to come out about, um, like, issues with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, the Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women um, Commission, that both, both things that the federal government put out, um, the fact that just hearing so many stories of racism and black people being murdered in the states by the systems that are in place to protect them really kind of made me look at what we do here you know and what it, what's the parallel here like it's not just black people that suffer but like what other suffering have we been doing to indigenous people for like centuries and you know, that's a thing too that's like nobody talks about it and just started to kind of like follow that pull at that thread you know like oh wait that's me and I, you know no wonder I tan so much and no wonder you know like kids would make comments 
like bullying comments and stuff as a kid that never really resonated but now it's like oh shit like yeah that's that's a thing like okay yeah bothered by that and I want to learn more and you know we we have a real problem here in Canada and it's like assimilation and everything is very much a thing here and it just it's like no like I don't want to lose that you know like I want to be proud of where I'm from and be proud of my heritage and my culture and everything and it just yeah, I'm on a journey now. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. This episode, um, I talked to the ladies about it. It is less of my typical questions. It is more of a conversation. First and foremost, I want to say that I appreciate you ladies for taking your time out for being here today with me to talk about it. And we owe it to ourselves to be educated on it. Yes, we've grown up with our families, I know Cheryl Ann um, and myself, like our households were very culturally driven, trying to keep that even though we were born here in Edmonton. Today is just about what can we do to educate ourselves and what can we do to educate all those around us? Because even though we are always filled with emotions of anger, frustration, confusion, I think we need to start the conversation about educating ourselves, educating those around us, and have the conversation instead of reacting with violence, as we've seen in uh, our sister country, America. It's hard to ignore what is going on because they are so close to us. Before George Floyd, this year alone, there was Breonna Taylor, and it was a case of hearsay that these police officers barged into her apartment without a knock warrant and shot her. A couple weeks after that, it was Ahmad Arbery, and he was just going for a run. And then maybe not even two weeks after that, three weeks after that, it's George Floyd. Earlier that morning, it was a woman calling the police officers about a man because he was bird watching and she felt like he was a threat. I guess what does that <laughs> And it's so crazy to, that's okay. No, and it's so crazy to me to think because you know, um George Floyd, we can say he was caught on tape but he wasn't the only one. March 3rd, 1991, Rodney King caught on tape, beaten by four police officers and uh they were all found not guilty. So I mean You can say yes, absolutely, 50 plus years later, almost 30 plus years later, we're still here. (laughs) Like, what does that, what, how does that make you feel? What, that we're still here, Cheryl Ann? It makes me fucking angry. Sorry for swearing. No, that's fine. It makes me angry. I, I think people need to realize that this isn't a new thing. I, I don't understand if that's how they're perceiving this, but... It's been going on for years, as you said, like these protests that are going on for equal rights for, for everyone. It's just, it just makes me so angry (laughs) is what it is. And oh no. That's okay. No, no, that's okay. (laughs) Oh, I'm crying already. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. It's infuriating because it's just like, why is this still a thing? Like, racism is not new now. It's just being reported. And why is it only now that people are upset about it? Why I think does it take all these people being murdered to be, like, why Why? Why is society now being like, this is wrong, we have to stop this? I think that is 
the thing, though, because we do have technology now, we are able to capture these awful moments and hold people accountable now. It's not like if we didn't have this technology, all of this, all of this would still be going on. We just wouldn't know. We wouldn't hear about it. And this is now proof that these things are happening and it needs to be stopped. Like enough is enough. Like when is it going to stop? How do you feel? um both of you feel about this statement in light of covid we were forced to stay home do you feel like that has something to do with the fact we that not only is it us that are very aware from it from a young age myself being called Paki, being called brownie being called saddam hussein's niece being you know being called everything do we do we feel like COVID has forced those who have taken advantage of their privilege, not recognizing their privilege, a time to actually pay attention? I, I can see that happening just because I think people are now, they're in their homes, they're being forced to like, just pay attention to what's going on in the world. And um, yeah, I, I do see it as maybe this pandemic was the catalyst for something good to happen uh i mean i don't know how to say it like obviously the the like covid 19 is not a good thing but no. i mean it, it's making people more aware of what's going on in the world it's not just you focusing on yourself or your country everyone is affected and because with the covid situation now we can see black lives matter obviously we, we have always mattered and i think people are now just understanding more and maybe showing more compassion yeah yeah i would agree with that i think covid kind of forced everybody to stop and take a look at where they were in their life what they were doing with their life the privilege that they have like if you know hey you can work from home great you know you're not losing your job you can still work you know like that's a privilege and just realize you know what kind of where we are in our lives and be a little more introspective and then i think with the things that have just happened recently like maybe it's covid kind of made us reflect and then we got to a bit of a boiling point where we're like okay we're ready to like do something you know and then maybe this you know george floyd was the catalyst to really be like okay like we got to take action we got to change something about ourselves or the world or like what's going on and you know i think it kind of maybe piggybacked a little bit but it's hard to say yeah shall i talk to me about your experience. I know I've been there with you from for a long time, but I was just hoping you could share a little bit about it. Yeah, for sure. I think I want to start with uh, my own parents' experience with racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I confirm with my mom that I can use this story. She's okay, like, yeah, good. this happened. This okay. um, so as I said before, uh, my parents moved here uh, from Trinidad and Tobago, and they actually lived in Puka for a little bit. Um, but my mom was saying that when she was I think, 29 and she was working at Alberta Hospital um, as the clerk, and at one point um, she had to attend to a patient. And this patient looked at her and said, I don't want an n-word attending to me and when i heard that i was like mortified yeah um and 
I asked my mom, like, how did you feel? Like, how, how did you, how did you deal with the situation? And her first reaction was saying, you know what? She, she's the patient. She's the one that's unwell, like, can't do much about that. Um, but she also mentioned that he, she knew things like this would happen moving to a white man's work, um, country. Um, another thing she said was, was she also was excited not to work on this stupid woman anyway. So, <laughs> so like, whatever, I can go back to before. Yeah. Um, so just, I don't know, just hearing that story, it upsets me that someone would say that to my mom, someone that I care about. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't think I mentioned this. So this was in 1976, she was saying, um, so it's just disgusting. Yeah. yeah. There, there, I don't know what other words you can say to describe that, but but I think for her herself, I was trying to find out more about like what other experiences have you had, but she was saying that that, that was the one that stuck out for her because I had heard the story like years ago, but I was like, I wanted to hear from her again how she was feeling. Um, but it's sad to think that she was like, yeah, this is what I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. This is my reality. Like, no one should have to feel that way. No. You know? Um, That's terrible. And then, um, and my experiences, um, I was telling Haliba the story that I wanted to tell. So, she was witness to this back in junior high. Yeah. It was high school, actually. Oh, yeah, it was high school. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, we had a friend of a friend, and... I'm going to call her Karen, I suppose. I can call her Karen. <laughs> yes, yeah. you can call her Karen. <laughs> yep, I'll call her Karen. She's a Karen. So, this girl. Hey, there. Yeah, so I remember we were sitting, um, like, during lunchtime, and Karen came up, and she's like, what's up, my N-word, to me? Yeah. And I was like, Karen, why are you... <laughs> Oh my gosh, I was like taken aback for one thing, and then I was like, why are you saying this? Do you understand what this word means? And her words were, I hear all the black guys in the hallway say it all the time. That's what she said. I was like, no, you, oh my gosh, I almost said her name. No, Karen, you cannot, you cannot say this word. This word has uh, deep-rooted roots with slavery, and it's very hateful to be saying it when you're not black and she was like oh okay (laughs) la 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 like whatever uh two weeks later i think or it was it was yeah i don't know how long it was but i remember you halima we were waiting for uh, i think mike and them and karen comes by and she's like what's up my and then she says she like said it she whispered it in my ear, first of all. It was really weird. Yeah. And I was like, Karen, what did I tell you a few weeks ago? And she was, I don't even remember what she said, but I remember our, our other friend was like, just slap her. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. And I was like, I did. Done. And I slapped her, and it was fantastic. I felt that's awesome. So great. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, and it's funny, I saw her like a few years ago at a wedding and she's like in her own little world she's freaking in her own little world she's not she's not racist she's just kind of ignorant and 
other things. But anyway, that happened. And that also speaks on the education that we actually, you know, it quite literally starts at home. Because we were young, and she could have that conversation, but what if her parents didn't understand the connotation either? Right. But the fact that I educated her the absolutely, one time, absolutely, and she friggin' did it again, like, there's no fucking excuse. Like, no. Being an idiot. Yeah. No. Audrey, what oh, about God. you? What has it been like for you from what you can remember as a child? Yeah, so we didn't really talk about being Native, ever. That wasn't ever a thing. There was no um, culture. There was no talk about it. Like, my mom, you can tell when you look at my mom, like, she's quite dark-skinned and has the the facial structure and, like, looks very much part of that culture. But um, I didn't quite so much look like her and, like, my grandma even more. And I would see, you know, okay, grandma and mom are a little bit darker-skinned and I can really easily, but that was about as far as it went until I was in high school. And I remember there was this one guy who I thought was my friend, a male Karen, if you will, call him male Karen. <laughs> I usually call those, I usually call those chads. Oh, oh my gosh. That's a chad. Yeah. That's, That's a, a chad. chad. <laughs> a chad or a Kyle, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Chad one day, uh, Chad was actually gay, but hadn't come out yet. But I think there was a lot of other like self-loathing and stuff happening there. But he found out that I was Native or Indigenous, and he took it upon himself to tell everybody in the classes we had together that I was Native. Routinely called me dirty Native, mm. drunk Native. Used the S word, like we have our own slur. I don't know if you guys you, you know it, yeah. but yeah. the S word that's pretty hurtful word. <laughs> constantly and I was like I'm not even I don't really even yeah. present you know like like you can't maybe you can tell maybe you can't tell I don't know but it's just like I'm I'm really light-skinned for being indigenous and like how what how is this a thing and it just it stuck with him and I I mean nobody else really picked mm-hmm. up on it thank goodness but like it just was constantly a thing from this person and like being mocked for my mom's skin color from him um I know that I've like my dad even even though my dad married my mother knowing she like what her heritage was mm-hmm. he still even says things like the s word and mm. like oh literally three months ago oh yeah he's horrible like i love my father but we have a lot of work to do yeah <laughs> i think because he has our races <laughs> because he has married someone he has the right to say the word because i feel like that is yeah. also a case for black like black people yeah. who are dating a white person they're like oh i can say this now like no that's not your word you don't know it's not it's not your word it's never your word none of those words no and and like literally like less i I don't even remember how long ago let's just say within three months he said to my husband ha 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 don't marry a a native woman and then oh too late and i'm sitting we're both sitting there oh my gosh uh, you realize that's your kid, first of all. You got married five years ago. Like, are you out of your mind? Oh, mind? my just, God. Just, and, like, all these little microaggressions. I'm sure, Sherlyn, you've, you've experienced that, too. But it's just, like, yes. all these little things constantly to remind you that you're other. You're not quite like us. You know, you're a friend, and you're not, you know, you're a good person. You're a hard worker, but you're not the same. Just remember your place sort of thing. And it's like, oh my gosh. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> 
yeah and And it worked too it's just it's crazy it's in within your own community i know the other day i sent cheryl ann this thing about indo-caribbean versus afro-caribbean and how for so long there was still that same civil unrest because one thought they were better than the other i mean it's so crazy to me that within your own community of of people that you thought you had that had your back quite frankly they were just like you're a little bit different but like and no less like they can't i don't know what it, it just baffles my mind really yeah, I think we talked about that too, Kalima. Where I'm like, I don't understand this because even in my family, like we're mixed, we're Indian, Black, um, and I remember my stories from my granny. Um, she, her, so her mother, I believe, her mother was in, okay. Sorry, I can't remember. So one of them was Indian, one of them was Black, essentially, but because there was that divide between uh, Indian people and Black people in the Caribbean. They couldn't be together. And from what my granny was saying was that I think she, like, my granny had to be given up to another family member. Mm. So it was something like that. And I was like, I didn't even know this story. This was like, my, I remember hearing this story, like, the year my granny passed away. And I was like, I didn't even know that. It's really sad. Yeah. It happens within the... The family, your own family. Like, it it just drives me mental. Because my parents are Indo-Caribbean from Guyana, so basically, the reason that people from India, North India, went over to Guyana is because of slavery. And then years progressed, years progressed. And then, however, during, I believe, either the 60s or the 70s, There was this big, like, uproar, probably with politics, as it usually is, and there was not any dissimilar to what we're going on today, looting. A bunch of black people broke into some family's house and robbed them. So ever since then, you have a specific set of family that will... This is what I hate. You will you will listen to their music. You will eat their food. You will culturally appropriate. But yet, you will not allow or you will talk bad about your Indo-Caribbean child marrying someone of an African descent. Because of something, because of your hatred that you've decided to build up in your head of this one set of people... And it just, it just drives me mental. Like, it's just, it's so crazy to me, and I hate it so much. I know that, um, Frishan, how do you feel about the cultural appropriation? I know you wanted to talk a bit about this. Yes. So, okay, so I have a story um, regarding my hair specifically. And so I guess a little bit of background, um, from grade six, uh, so I was 12 until 25, I had been chemically straightening my hair. Uh, there was no reason, I just wanted to see what my hair would look like. <laughs> um, and then when I was 25, I was like, huh, like I wonder what my hair would look like if I just stopped straightening it. Because honestly, it does take a lot of time and effort. And even when I'm doing things like swimming, for example, it's, <laughs> it's a hassle 
to like actually straighten and take time to do my hair. Um, so with um, so transitioning is what it's called from chemically relaxed hair to your natural hair. I would just stop stop altogether with the chemical treatment. So that took about maybe three years for it to actually look the way it does now. And it looks pretty good. But it looks amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank I you. But yeah, it was, it was like a struggle to. It was the struggle to get here to this point because it was uh, like the curl texture and everything. It's just, it's, it's different. <laughs> I know this isn't probably what my actual hair texture was prior to me chemically straightening, but this, I, I like it. So anyway, beautiful. Thank you. Um, so I just wanted to touch on my experience with racism and ignorance on my hair. And I, I had never experienced this before just because everyone normally they always they always compliment my hair i've never gotten i've never gotten um someone saying oh like why does your hair look like that blah 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 um so last year it's almost coming to one year uh, my best friend was getting married and she wanted to gift her bridesmaids with uh either getting their hair done or their makeup done and with me um i've been brides a bridesmaid like prior but I would never be, I would never get my hair done with the other bridesmaids because the make the people doing the hair, I assumed could not do black hair. So I would always go to um, my parents' hair salon or I would get uh, a friend to do my hair. So shout out to Ashley. She's listening to this. She did my hair. <laughs> um, yeah. So my my best friend she has naturally curly hair uh she's not black she's white but like i just figured oh okay it's like she's gonna get someone that can actually do curly hair so it's like okay like i i will i will take this gift so day of the wedding uh we head over to one of the bridesmaids homes house and i had washed my hair prior to and i didn't put any products in my hair yet it was just like my hair was clean and i get to the house and I remember there were two there were two girls doing hair, um, and one of them just like looks at me and she's like, "What do you want me to do with all that?" And she, the way she, emphasis on that, you guys, that as in my hair, and I was like taken aback. I was like, uh, "I just want a simple updo." Um, I had the picture, and prior to this. Um, I, I I had asked Catherine to check to make sure that they could do like black hair, and she said that they they yeah no problem right. And then this girl like she just looked at me like as if I was a fucking animal, like why are you here right? And then I was like well I can put products in my hair and it's like it's very manageable like you can do this like the the up to was so simple like I might as well have just done it myself. But then she looked and she's like oh well. I've never done a black person's hair before. But she like, she, again, this whisper, she whispered the word black. And I was like, what is this? What is this? So then she was like, okay, well, you go and put your products in your hair and we'll see what we can do with you. I was like, right, this is so fucking crazy. And then, so at this point I was like baffled and fucking angry and because like I I obviously like normally you know me I would just pop off, 
But yeah. <laughs> because it's, this wasn't my day, and uh, Catherine was already dealing with like loss of her father, and like it just wasn't. I just didn't want to cause any problems, so I went into the bathroom, and I was doing my makeup. And I know I took a little bit longer to do my makeup, but it's because I needed to be in there just to like process everything. And I was so upset that I was like, I can't like be, I can't be out there, right? Um, but I remember that I did go out to get like a drink and this, so this hairdresser, she, I think she was just inappropriate. She was so unprofessional with all the girls because I remember she was talking with one of the girls about, I guess like, I don't know, like her sex life or something. It was so strange. <laughs> Who does that? Who does that? <laughs> so basically she, yeah. yeah. In hindsight, I kind of, I do wish that I would have talked to her after just to tell her like how I felt. Um, she didn't end up doing my hair with the other girl. The other girl was like very professional, like super nice. She did a fantastic job. But I do wish I would have like said something like, hey, like pulled her aside and said, hey, you can't like, one, you're unprofessional while you're saying this. Um, but yeah, she didn't even have social media that I could actually like, like blast her on. <laughs> so, <laughs> otherwise I would have, but. Yeah, uh, and where I was going with the story is I think that's how I learned about, understood more about cultural appropriation, just because in the past, I know like with Kardashians, they come out with braids and cornrows and whatever, and for me, before before my situation happened, I was like, yeah, like, I like it. Like <laughs> To me, I, I didn't think it was bad. I thought, I did feel like it was complimenting our culture. Mm -hmm. However, I also didn't understand the cultural importance of braiding and how what it meant to like us as black people. So I had to look that up. But what it was is for um, so years ago, prior to slavery in Africa, uh, what braids meant, uh, it could mean, it could differentiate you, like what region you're a part of, what tribe you're a part of, marital status. And during the times of slavery, they, the captors just shaved their heads just to erase that culture. So I understood it more while going through my whole thing. But also, um, I think after that situation happened last year, I just decided I'm only going to buy black hair products. I'm only going to support black um, brands and I started unfollowing a bunch of uh, makeup artists and hairstylists that I didn't if I didn't see someone that looks like me or looks like my skin tone or darker I I don't want to support you that's how I felt mm -hmm. so. and speaking Sorry, of, that was the long no, no no this is what we're here for it's the education I had no idea that yeah. that's why you know braiding was such a big cultural thing. I I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. So it's I learned myself. <laughs> I think we all we all did. Sorry, I kind of cut you off there. No. Um, with braiding, like braiding hair is important to Indigenous people right. too, and you'll see like men, um, like Indigenous people, a lot of the time they don't cut their hair. The hair get long, and they braid it. And the three strands of the braid are to remember uh, to represent. Um, body, mind, and spirit. And when you're braiding your hair, you're supposed to be thinking good thoughts, and that goes into the braid. And I, I don't know more beyond that. Like that's about the limit of my knowledge of it. But 
um, like that's a thing for indigenous people too, is to like, to braid the hair. And, and I feel like a lot of white people, white culture, they don't know that. And yeah, I don't understand. And, and then when, yeah, you see like box braids and cornrows and stuff, it's like, okay, it looks great. And yeah, maybe it is a tribute, but like, just be aware of what it means to the people that that's their culture you know, to mm-hmm. like, take it forward and just be aware of it. You don't have to practice it or whatever. Just be aware and, like, respectful in your actions and how you're wearing it and stuff. I think that's, that's a big thing. But um, just to go to cultural appropriation, like, the thing that kind of started it for me, like, looking at it through an Indigenous lens is when you would see uh, white girls wearing big headdresses, Mm-hmm. like the big oh, yeah. native headdresses that yeah. chiefs wear that are reserved for ceremonies to like Coachella or oh, yeah. music festival. God, don't get me started. First of all, like, no, not a good look. Second of all, like that's reserved for like the, like a wedding, like the most, the highest level of ceremony. And like, you're just getting trashed doing drugs wearing a headdress at a festival. <laughs> <So disrespectful. No. laughs> yeah. It's like, wear it if you want to wear it, but realize, like, what all is going into it, and, like, wear it with that intention, not just, it's cool, and I want to get Instagram picture. You look like a fool. You look like a total fool. And it's just, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm glad that, I feel like people now are more aware of, and I'm not, not even so much Indigenous, but, like, when you look at black culture, like people who, you know, I guess I saw something Justin Bieber posted the other day, like I profit off of black culture and I need to do a better job standing up for black culture. It's like, yeah, how many people, how many artists, how many like makeup artists, like you were saying, Charlene, like how many, you know, actors, how many directors, how many models, how many authors, like if you want to make art and reference a culture, sure. But like you have to, respect that culture you have to care about the issues faced by that culture you have to you know carry that forward not just you know wear box braids and big hoops because you think it looks cool like no like that means something more to the people who wear that right and i feel like it's a conversation that is now starting to happen more and more which is great but like we need to keep having that conversation yeah speaking of media i know for a lot of us like our upbringing was if you're a kid in the 90s, like, you're watching Family Matters, you're watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you're watching Nickelodeon, you're watching Rugrats, where there's only one um, African-American baby on the show with braids. What did you take from media when you were growing up in terms of culture and in terms of racial representation, Audrey? There's... Interesting, because, like, I didn't ever see, like, I saw myself as white until I was in my late 20s. So I didn't notice, you know, the, the one, like, ki- the one kid of color. Like, there's this, I can't remember what show it was. I think it was South Park. But, like, the, there was one kid, one kid on it, one black kid, and his name was Token or something, like, to have the Token <laughs> black kid. Like, I can't oh remember God. the name of the show. But yeah. that was the name, and it was horrible. But they were, like, calling it out. But I never, like... Clued in. I made that connection. Yeah. I never clued in until I got to be a little bit older. And I mean, now thinking about it, like, okay, well, how many Indigenous people are there? <laughs> like, Twilight? That's it. That's yeah. the only thing I can think of. Or if you're watching um, Canadian television, my parents used to watch Due South, but 
I mean, that's, you know, that's CBC. How many people, Yeah. how many people other than, you know, either Albertans or Canadians are watching, you know, this yeah. Indigenous representation? And I think, too, like, the, the characters that we saw in media or the people that we saw or the characters in shows or the people in media that we saw were always like the stereotype Mm -hmm. you know it was never like you never saw beyond just what their like tunnel that this is what you know an indigenous person is they're probably drunk they probably have braids they probably live on the street or like this is what a black person is or this is what it is you know like just it was just so narrow and it's like that's so not representative of what people are and it's so limiting too so then you have people consuming it and then they're like oh this is what you know this is what this race has to be or this is what this is and it's like it's just it's not it's so narrow Mm -hmm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. absolutely and Charlene what was that like for you because I know for me growing up I didn't see a lot of Indo-Caribbean people on screen specifically and in terms of um Indian people, it was Bollywood, but I didn't, I didn't speak the language. My parents are from a country where Guyana is the only English-speaking country in South America. There's Portuguese, there's Spanish, but we spoke Creole, which is a slang for African and um, Indian terms from India. And, you know, for me, I kind of, I specifically, and this is probably part of my education, is I leaned towards Black culture because I saw me in the brown skins and the darker skins, because I saw me just being represented as being different, because I'm not, I don't speak the language. I was raised in Canada. Like, your fight could be my fight, because we're all fighting for inequality. But it is up to me to recognize that Black lives and that are, have influenced me, I need to fight for that because that's what I grew up with. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Girl, I got you. I got you both. Thank you. <laughs> so, John, for you, think, what, what was that like? I think for myself, like, speak, think, just thinking about it, how media, yes, I am Black, but I never saw someone that was of, a, of Caribbean descent, you know, yeah. in media, but... And the only show that I can think of that actually had that when I was, was on, I don't know if you ever watched it, but it was called Lord Have Mercy, and it was on Vision TV, and actually, that's how I discovered Russell Peters. Oh, It was okay. like, yeah, years ago. Yeah. It was, a, I think they were Jamaican. Um, but, yeah, I am just thinking about childhood, and yeah, I, I am grateful that I had older sisters, because we would watch Martin. In, in Living Color is still my jam. Oh, I like um, to watch it every time I'm sad. I'm watching it. Yes, it's so good. And Sister, Sister. Yes. Or Sister, Sister. <laughs> um, but I think, like, as a kid, though, I am growing up, like, we all love Disney movies. But I didn't see anyone that actually looked like me. And the only ones that did were Pocahontas and Jasmine. Because mm-hmm. I remember I did dress up as Pocahontas as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting thinking about that. And then they finally had a black princess. Technically, she wasn't even a princess, like Tiara in 2009. And My like, girl. Why did it take so long? Yeah. No, but I was like, just thinking about that. Why did it take so long? And 
And why wasn't she even a princess? Like, why did she exactly. not even be yeah. a princess? Like, why couldn't she have had the castle? She had to, um, guys, she had to get married to become a princess, and I don't even understand why. Like, that is, like, you needed a, this is, like, a, probably a whole other topic, but this woman needed <laughs> yeah. a man to become a princess? Like, yeah. Well, not, think, yeah, I the think, sexist can of worms. Yeah. Like, that's a whole other world. Yeah, that's a issue. whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> I do love Princess and the Frog. Don't get me wrong. I watched that friggin' movie like five times in a row when I got on DVD. <laughs> but I think the thing about that, just speaking about that character though, there is something in the media that is that strong black female character. Absolutely. And I think that maybe that's where they were going with it. But it's also like why we have to live up to this myth that you have to be this strong person all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Exceptionalism, right? Is that the yeah, yeah, yeah? Also, being yeah, yeah, glad you brought up Rugrats. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, I like that. What's her, what's her name? Judy. Judy, I think. I don't I, remember. She had braids, and I. I had braids growing, like, with growing. the, like, with the little bobble, like, hair ties yes, that we hair. all had, yeah. And I, I did learn about uh, Jewish people from Rugrats as well, so that was interesting, too. Oh, Rugrats, just teaching us a bunch of things. <laughs> <laughs> what did we know at this time? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to switch the, the topic a little bit and now talk about um, Indigenous women. Specifically, the murdered and missing Indigenous women. I know, Sherline, you have a bit of a close story to this, and I kind of wanted you to share a little bit about it. Yeah, so I had mentioned to Halima that I wanted to talk about this, just because it, like, I, I couldn't believe this happened. But um, So years ago, I used to work at SmartSet um, in City Centre, and uh, there was an Indigenous girl that worked there. Uh, her name was Bella Lebuchen McQuinn, and... Like, I, I enjoyed working with her every time we had a shift. Like, she, like, we always talked about music and fashion. And she ended up moving to Toronto uh, to study fashion. Um, and then from then, like, I had lost touch. But I remember seeing in the news that Bella had died. She had fell from a high-rise apartment. And I don't even think to this day that they know, like, what like what happened? So she is part of the missing and murdered indigenous women. But it's very strange that this exact situation happens all the time. Um, for example, uh, Regis. Yeah, Regis. Um, Paquette. Yeah. Or so, I can't remember the last name, but yeah, it's just like a week ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a very similar story, and it's disturbing and. I, I don't know. It's I, I don't know. I don't even have words to say that this is still this is happening to like people in our country, and I it, I don't understand. Like, do people not care that this is happening? Like, there are so many like there are so many Indigenous women that are murdered, missing, and go missing, and people just don't care. Like, they I don't think that they really care because going back to seeing Indigenous as other and all it's, you know, they deserve it or they brought it on themselves or that's what you get when you're a sex worker or you're on the streets or whatever. And, like, just in Edmonton on, like, last week, I don't know if you guys saw that there was a missing girl, a 14-year-old Indigenous girl went missing. Her name was Celeste. Um, can't remember her, na- her last name, but 
She was missing for 10 days and the police hadn't done anything like public. They haven't asked, they hadn't asked for help. They hadn't sent out any alert to the public to watch for this girl. They were like giving the family the round. Yeah. I posted, I'll send you guys a link, but like they posted, um, the, the family eventually was like, it's been a week and our 14 year old daughter is like missing. And she was last, you know, they had posters out and they finally, they went to the public for help and had a search party and they found her. And then the media picked it up. Oh, this missing girl was found unharmed. And it's like the family's like, no, she was not unharmed. She was missing for 10 days. Like, what do you think? Like, think about what happened to her in those 10 days. And like, the, the family's asking for support and stuff. And it's just like, people just don't care. <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. Was that Edmonton? This was in Edmonton. Yeah, I'll send. Oh. I'll, I'll send a link. But yeah, um, there was a news story. CTV's like, oh, she was found unharmed, and I did the fatal mistake of wading into the comments section, and like, all these people are like, oh, she's a runaway. Oh, she should have checked in. Oh, my kid would never do that. Oh, that's what she probably ran away for a boy and all this. And it's like, a fourteen-year-old girl, well, fourteen-year-old white girl goes missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every loser. Everyone would lose their shit. Like, their shit. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, why then is it that, like, this girl goes missing, she's Indigenous, why do, you know, black kids go missing, nobody gives a fuck. Brown kids go missing, nobody gives a hell. Like, Indigenous kids, and then it's, oh, the, she, we found her, but, you know, she, she should have known better, and it's her fault, and, like, victim blaming, and I, like, I had this big comment, like, fuck all you guys, sorry, I No, that's okay. <laughs> no, it's fine, girl, do it, <laughs> Like anyone who has a problem with us, like you need to examine your person. And I was like, okay, hey, I just like my emotion. I was like, I can't. It's not my job to educate all of these people, but like, it's just, yeah, people don't care. And like, I don't know if you guys remember hearing, but uh, a year ago, the federal government released this big report. They did this big commission on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, mm-hmm. and they released this report. And like it's been a year and nothing's been done. Like none of the action items that they called for have been done. Like it, they called for um, building an alliance amongst all the police, like the major metropolitan police departments and stuff to try to help trade information and, you know, like reach out to communities and offer more support and stuff. But like no, nothing's been done. Like there is this big, yeah, it's disgusting. And it's just like people view and pray on women of color, all colors, like black, indigenous, you know, whatever, as, as other, and it goes into not just race, but like the sexism element too. And it just, it just feels like people don't care. And it sucks. It sucks. So not cool. And also, I know that you, you also wanted to talk about the incarceration of indigenous people too. That's, if you could just share a little bit of light about that. Yeah, so um, I I don't know if you guys have like heard or seen any of the documentaries that are on Netflix or anything about you know, rates of incarceration of colored people and like black people in the states, um, but they're disproportionately higher. Like when mm-hmm. you look at the population and representation and everything, and there's a problem with that here too. So of the so. of Canada's population is Indigenous people, but within the prison system, 25% of the population is Indigenous. So 
there's so much more of a representation in prison. And when you look at female prisoners, 46% of the female prison population is Indigenous. And it's like that, it's so skewed and it's so off. And I mean, it, it goes back, I think, to a long history of um, the legacy of colonialism and residential schools and reserves and all those lasting impacts of just ripping away a person's culture, ripping away a person's support and, and their identity and everything that, you know, people grow up in a home where parents aren't present because they're dealing with their own stuff and they have nowhere to turn. So then they, you know, go to a, a gang or family, like whatever, something where they feel accepted or part of something. And it just perpetuates and, and the rates for Indigenous representation in the prison system are, it's growing, it's going up. So, like, I think we have a major problem here with that, and it, it doesn't seem like anybody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we see a lot of media come out of the states of the, the, like, disproportionate rates of Black people in the prison system, and that is absolutely a, a big problem, but, like, we have a big problem here, too, mm-hmm. with it. Um, and, I mean, we need to look at, you know, what, what, you know, what how, how are police going about investigating crimes and what sort of, you know, who's being targeted and what supports are in place for after people get out of prison and, you know, how do we help prevent this from happening rather than continuing to prey on those people that mm-hmm. maybe don't have any supports. So It's working yeah. in our own backyard. Of course, we, you know, we want to help our counterparts all over the world, but we need to start in our backyard first and if we help the black lives and the indigenous lives here for our change it'll open up the door to help other cultures and other communities and other provinces other countries we have to have things like this where we have the conversation of what does it mean to us how is it affecting us what can we do to change it even if you feel hopeless and, you know, we are like, we're regular people doing regular jobs. You know, we don't have the followers that all these quote unquote celebrities have. We don't have a, as a big of a platform, but I do believe that one voice or a band of voices or a team, no matter how small, can start the work in their backyards to help all of these situations that we are going through because it is it is affecting us personally. And I think we definitely need to start there. Speaking of which, Audrey, you and I were at the Black Lives protest on uh, June 5th. What was that like for you? It was so, like, powerful, I think, is the best way to, to describe it because it was... There were moments that was really uplifting, like just seeing how many people came out, like how many people care. But at the same time, like how messed up it is that this is such a big problem, like even here. And like just hearing some of the stories of some of the speakers, like talking about the discrimination that they faced and their families have faced and like what they face day to day still. And just like hearing so much like pain, you could just hear the pain in some people's stories and like seeing all the people around us like I was standing there like crying into my mask 
And then other times, like, just, like, smiling because there's, like, just hearing 15,000 people chant Black Lives Matter. And taking the knee. Taking the knee. Like, just, it was so, like, yes, this is good. We need more caring. But at the same time, like, as a person who presents white, like, I will never understand the amount of pain and anguish that, you know, people have gone through. But I know that I can stand with people and stand you know like do what I can to help lend my voice to the support and and everything so it was just it was really good I was like I went fully prepared to like get in front of like use my white white I put white in quotation mark <laughs> not really but I look white but I was like fully prepared I'm like hey I'm gonna use my white privilege I'm gonna like get in front of cops and like let people protest I'm ready to like fully ready to get arrested if it I was just like yeah, so <laughs> ride or die like what do I need to do? Like, I will use my body to, like, help protect the message and protect and, like, give space. Didn't have to do any of that, which is good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> You're so pumped up. <laughs> I saw some videos of Edmonton police taking the knee. And after they took the knee, there were hugs. Like, that's good. And, I mean, we saw a lot of, like, media in the last week of you know, sheriffs saying, what do you need? And march with us. And then they're marching and they're taking the knee and they're like, you see people like mouthing stuff behind their riot gear. That's good. That's a start. But is it a way to placate people who are protesting or is it a, okay, we need to change something. And is that where that stops with them? Right. Does it go further? You know, do we actually disassemble, dismantle the, the whole, like, brotherhood of silence, the cone of silence mm-hmm. that exists around calling out cops that do bad things because they do exist. Yeah. Is it just a way to keep the crowd from getting angry? I don't yeah. know. Do That's we, my question. Do we, re, do we re-educate and retrain? Because we, we were talking about this before this episode started. I mean, you can have... Sherlyn, you brought up this point. I'd like you to, yeah. if you don't mind talking about it again yeah i was saying that if you have one bad cop and three good cops but the three good cops don't stand up to that one bad cop then you have four bad cops and i i truly believe that but obviously not all cops are bad and i think that should be said but like if you know that something is wrong like stand up say something yeah yeah absolutely and i mean like we we have a good friend whose husband is a police officer and he, he is a good man. He's a really good man. And I have no doubt that he's one of those good cops, but I think even within EPS, they need to examine how they police because there was a story that came out this week of a, of a black man. I think it was 2018 and he was arrested. He shouldn't have been arrested. First of all, like his, his wife or fiance, I can't remember, got into a car accident. He went to help her out. But the cop was wound up putting a knee on his back, restraining him and arresting him for no reason. Right. No, no reason. What is that? Like, what, what is that? Who, who are these cops and, and what, what happened? Where was, you know, like, what's the next step that happened there? And the police like routinely profile indigenous people you know and I mean myself I can't I I have no experience with that but like you can you see it you hear about it in the news and like 
going back to that prison population, why are so many more Indigenous people in prison mm-hmm. in Canada than white people? Mm-hmm. When it's such a small piece of population. So, like, I think that it's, like, that the police system was founded, organized, came up with back to help the RCMP to clear Indigenous people off of land so that settlers could come and in the states to return slaves to their owners yes yeah and 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 what has changed in how this system is administered from then from like like the 1800s to now has anything changed Mm -hmm. what is being done to drive change because absolutely there are good cop ops Mm -hmm. but if the system is founded on something that is broken and it's founded on systemic racism, where's the change? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What are we doing to... That's my opinion. No, I agree with you. No, I completely agree with you. I think that a lot of people do not realize that that institutionalized racism, it exists. And you have to go to the source of why this is happening and make a change. Otherwise, it's going to continue. That's why all of this is happening now. Like, people are speaking up. Like, if they, if there, if no change comes from all of these protests, because it's not just in the U.S., it's Canada, it's Europe, um, other places too. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say if, like, no change has come from this. It's, I had to, it kind of broke my heart yesterday because... I was with my parents, and we we were kind of talking uh, specifically about Black Lives Matter, and they were asking me how the protest was, and my dad asked the question, why did he have to put his knee on George Floyd's neck? Why did he have to treat him like an animal? He is not an animal. And it broke my heart because, in a way, like, my dad, of all people, you know, was asking a rhetorical question and as a generation where we are, we are always, you know, we, our parents want better for us than that, what they had, because, you know, my parents moved from, from civil racism for a better life for their kids, for better education, for better jobs. And if my dad, who's in his 60s, is asking this question, why are people still treating people like animals? My four-year-old niece is going to ask the question when she grows up. And how... I don't know. We were walking to the protest and or we were getting ready to go and I told my sister, we're doing this now so that in 20 years my niece doesn't have to do this again, right? Like, I don't know. I'm just at the point where I'm frustrated of how can we how can we change it? Like you said, Charlotte, like we have to, you know, look at the source, look at the root why from braids of why they did why they wore the braids the way they did is why are they trained the way they are trained so you're right it's just it's hard it's for me it's just really hard yeah it is it's overwhelming because then you think that same statement you made about doing this now so that your niece won't have to in 20 years I bet you the same statement was made in the mid-90s. Absolutely. And the same statement was made in the 60s when the civil rights movement was, like, in full swing. Yeah. And, like, why haven't we... Why haven't haven't we gotten our shit together? (laughs) It's 2020. (laughs) Why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that 
like that's a the, just a story about your dad that's that's awesome that he feels that way because again love my father he's actively like racist he says things every time I see him I have to tell him dad you can't say that that's inappropriate and I think it's like it starts at home and with the previous like I like I have worked be like work against that and examine the things that I learned from him and and undo that work and I don't know how many people out there have like if they don't have a family member of color or they're not exposed to different cultures like they don't realize so then they go and they have kids and then they say shitty things but then their kids pick up and it just perpetuates but like I'm hopeful that there's enough of us between us millennials and Gen Z's that <laughs> like we're we're asking these questions you know we're going to the marches we're posting tons of stuff on social media about it and like pushing back on our shitty racist parents those of us that have those racist parents that I don't know hopefully it's marks a turning point but it still just sucks that like black people and people of color have had to fight this fight for so long and they're still having to fight the fight and they're still having to lead the char- lead the charge it's like why don't white people get their heads out of their asses <laughs> yeah maybe that's a strong statement but like no why, it's, it's wrong right, <laughs> right? But like why, why where are the allies where are all the people that consume black culture that love black culture yeah. Love yeah. Pop, you know profit off of it where are they yeah okay can I just say yeah. that that's exactly how I feel I feel like it can't just be black people and people of color like standing up for our rights that we deserve it has to we have to have unfortunately we, ha- we do have to have white people speaking up for us as well because I also do feel like because it has been black people alone speaking up mm-hmm. like nothing has changed but now it's gotten more traction now people are like white people and non um, people of color are just like speaking up we yeah. we do need that we need that support because it sucks that it has to come to that that you can't just listen to people and say hey this isn't right like this needs to change mm-hmm. but we need we need white people y- y'all need to step up y'all yeah, who like absolutely. our culture y'all who <laughs> like our music y'all who date our culture i'm actually talking more specifically damn kardashians (laughs) that's that's exactly where mine go my mind goes because they have a platform and i think they weren't really speaking up about it and i'm like you guys have black children do you want them to grow up it doesn't matter that you are kim kardashian and your husband is connie west those children are black they're going to be looked at as black you need to speak up yeah also try to connie for i guess donating he's still questionable Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it's, I think it's a matter of access, too, because, like, look at, look at the states, right? First black president, we had eight amazing years with Obama, and now he's gone, and it's gone so far the other way. But, like, white people have to use the platform, use the privilege, use the access, use all of this shit that we have for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Like, for no fucking reason mm-hmm. for again, but for no reason 
to to dismantle it, to break it, to change it, to like it just I mean it's I think the argument that a lot of people use is it's, you know, people of color are other. They're mad. It's okay. They're just, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, don't get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, that's not appropriate. And without people that look like those, you know, people who are racist, people or whatever, like without them saying, hey, like, you are wrong. Mm -hmm. You are wrong. Like, this is why you are wrong. It doesn't, like, their minds won't change because they're so stuck in their lane of seeing other, right? Like, that's... I don't know if you guys (laughs) saw it, but last week in Calgary, when they were doing their protests, there was this video going around. I don't know if I saw it on friggin' TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is, but there was this video of them protesting in Calgary. And this white man was getting upset that they were protesting for some reason. So, he said to a group of other white people using their privilege to help the cause, they should be doing it themselves. And that struck a nerve with me. What? That struck a nerve with me. Black people have been, and indigenous people, have been doing it by themselves for the last 50 plus years. But now... Black people and Indigenous people, like yourselves, are getting the help you should have gotten 50 plus years ago. So excuse me, sir, if your counterpart, Becky, is deciding to use her voice to speak up for Black lives and Indigenous lives. Because, frankly, sir, Chad, you are fucking late to the party if you're asking me. Becky here actually recognizes that she is late, but she is doing something because she recognizes that Black lives and Indigenous lives, their people have been speaking out for so long, and she's sick of it as well. So it just, it pissed me off so much when he said that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. See, again, this is why we need so, like, having this technology to see this latent dis- disregard for human life. Like, I'm sorry that we're trying to get equal rights, like, but you have that you privileged white man, white cis man, fuck. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's true. And then, and then to like further that too, like, okay, yeah, we can see what's been happening, but. Will any of these cops, these perpetrators, these murderers, quite frankly, be brought to justice? Or will the system say, like, George Zimmerman killing Trayvon Martin again? No, I'll just wipe all the charges off. And, like, why haven't those cops that shot Breonna Taylor in her freaking sleep, in her bed, why haven't they been arrested yet? Yeah, why what is they... the reason? <laughs> what is the reason? And and then, like, oh, God, it's just, like, it's like you start talking about it and then more names and more stories pop up. Why was Sandra Bland, why was her mugshot taken when she was already dead? Mm-hmm. Where, where charges against that? And then it just, it, like, it's, it gets, ugh, I just like this, this, this yeah. is so much. And why haven't any of these, like, what was it? Like 99% of police officers in cases like this get off. They get acquitted. Why? Yeah. Why did it take so long to close residential schools? They didn't close till the mid-90s. 
I didn't yeah. know the. I didn't. I just found this out because I posted that article um, about residential schools and how the last one closed in 1996. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It is. I can actually tell you guys a story about that. Um, so my grandmother, like being from the Northwest Territories, she went to residential school. And she spent like her full school years there. And when I was a kid, like, again, not making the connection that I was indigenous, she'd like say something about the nuns were so cruel and you guys are lucky. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And then she'd always change the subject. She never would talk about it. And my mom went to an indigenous school too. And again, wasn't ever discussed. She didn't spend as long in the system as my grandmother did. I think she was out. Um, they moved to Edmonton when she was 16, so they got her out out of it by then. But my mom and dad met in the north, had me down here at a hospital, but we moved back up north, and I lived up there until I was about one and a half, two years old. And a big reason why we moved south was that my mom, like, I would have had to go to one and two because they were still a thing. Wow. But we moved south because my mom was like, I don't want you to go through that. And, like, there's better health care, there's better food security, yeah. and, like, all kinds of stuff down here. So, like, when all the settlements and everything, like, when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission happened, I remember my grandmother and my mom both got a settlement and, like, a certificate from the government saying, we're so sorry that we destroyed your culture and your lives. <laughs> yeah, thanks for this piece of paper yeah. I can burn yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that was a thing in our lifetime, in our lifetime, yeah. kids were still being taken away and taken to schools where they were beaten and sexually assaulted and like punished for speaking their language. They were starved. They were like malnourished, not treated for health. They weren't like, and then you turn 18 and okay, bye. Good luck. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. it's not, that's you. It's crazy and like um i just finished reading a book called all our relations and it was by an indigenous author um tanya talaga and it was a really really good book and just like talk more about that experience and how generations of people going through those systems has now created a situation where the youth indigenous youth and first nations youth are committing suicides at rates that are like so far above and beyond what suicide rates are for kids of that same age group in like white communities. And it has to do with that loss of culture and that loss of religion and the loss of identity and like not knowing where you belong. And like, that's the lasting legacy of it. You know, you have parents that don't know how to parent because they never were given opportunities to learn and they have no connection to their culture. So like, they live on a reserve where there's no running water and there's no food and like your house is super shitty and falling apart and like there are such bad like housing shortages and stuff and it's just a really shitty 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 situation for a lot of first nations on like reserves and stuff to this day like that's happening mm -hmm. like never mind you know the residential school legacy and everything that's that's a thing but i mean I think it's a matter of education, like just telling people, you know, that are in schools and like even those of us that are not in school, like do we know about it? Like what, what have we learned about it? What is yeah. it talked about? It's, 
I was saying that I never, I honestly don't remember learning about residential schools in no. elementary school or junior high or high school. Me neither. And I have a very good memory because I, I was excellent at social studies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had to learn that myself, like after schooling, because I was like, this is, yeah. how do you not learn about your own history? Like, yes, it was like really fucked up, but we need to learn this so we can not do this shit again. Like in Germany, they learn about the Holocaust. They learn about all the atrocities that were happening under Hitler. Like, why? Because they want to learn from that. Like, it should be common sense. Learn from this. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's not repeat it, right? That's the yeah. thing. Learn our history. We're, we're bound to repeat it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, can, uh, you can tell us how, like in social studies, they can teach us how we got started. But what happens after that? Like, I need to know the ugly truth because it is my responsibility as a Canadian to understand where I come from because I was born here. And if I'm going to tell my kids about my history, my history is as a Canadian. And that is a huge part of it. So this conversation has gotten us heated. It's made us tear up. It's made us laugh. I just popped off. I'm sorry. No, that's that's what I need. That's that's. That's important because we need more popping off, really. I mean, we've. <laughs> what can we do to help to start in our own backyard? I pulled some. CTV had this really great link of places people looking to help can donate. I've pulled some from the Edmonton Cultural Coalition, Black Health Alliance for Systems Change and Health Promotions. The Native Women's Association of Canada. Also, this specifically in the States, Sherlyn, you sent this to me. It's a great conversation about racial inequality and injustice. Um, it was hosted by Misha Collins. He's this actor on Supernatural. Also hosted by Daniil Ackles and Jensen Ackles, but focused on the conversations between Black activists Daryl Davis uh, Baratunde Thurston, Reverend Deborah Johnson, and Breonna Jenkins, and they were just talking about having the conversation and educating those who are of white privilege that don't quite understand how they can help. There was Daryl Davis who had the conversation about turning KKK members from leaving the KKK. So I think it's you know, recognizing these conversations and having them and being patient and keeping patience and forgiveness in our hearts when we're having these difficult conversations. Understanding that we are going to get riled up because it is something that is not supposed to be talked about quietly, as in case in point of all of these protests and social media posts and outrage and donations and it's never too late to have the conversation and if anything we're having the conversation now and I I kind of wanted to echo this post I saw from George Floyd's daughter Gianna Floyd um she was on the shoulders of her uncle and she was saying that her dad changed the world so little queen your dad your dad changed the world, and I thank he you. He was legitimately the spark. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, that's, go ahead. No, I was, yeah, he legitimately was the spark that brought everyone together, brought people from all over the world to, like, literally, like, we're rising up. We're speaking about this. Yeah, it was the enough. 
like enough. We've seen enough of this. Let's do something about it now. This is too much, purely. Um, I wanted to end the conversation on each to give a song or a quote in light of what's going on that means something to you. So, Audrey, if you would please. So I have two songs, and I agonized over the choice because there's so much good art, like resistance art and like powerful stuff to share. Um, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On is a big one. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and then another one is um, Keep Your Head Up by Tupac. That's another one. Because it's, I mean, the subject matter of that one is maybe not civil rights. It's more relationship focused. But I think that that applies 100% to, I mean, the fight that people are in now. Just keep your head up. Keep going. Charlotte. Sure. So my quote is by Rosa Parks. To bring about changes, you must not be afraid to take the first step. We will fail when we fail to try. And my second quote is by Angela Davis. In a racist society, it is not enough to be non-racist. We must be anti-racist. So that does go in hand in hand with educating. Like, you might not be racist, but do you know things? <laughs> and, <laughs> and my two songs. So I don't know if you guys listen to the album, but Run the Jewels just released their yes. album. <laughs> It is amazing. So it's amazing. I was listening to the album, and one of the ones that struck out for me was Walking the Snow. I think it's extremely topical to what we're going through, and the quote that specifically I wanted to talk about was, and every day on evening news, they feed you fear for free, and you so numb, you watch the cops choke, sorry, you, um, gosh, you so numb, you watch the cops choke out a man like me, and so my voice goes from a shriek to a whisper, I can't breathe. Wow. I love from the jewel. Freaking, I'm so sad that <laughs> their concert was canceled. Yeah. Um, my, and my other song was Sam Cooke, A Change Is Gonna Come. And actually, I was torn between Marvin Gaye's What's Going On as well. So good choice. <laughs> I'll try to be mine. I'm like, so. <laughs> One thing too, like before before we like fully move on is like I've found a lot of learning on Instagram it's not oh Instagram whatever but like honestly like I followed the Black Lives Matter hashtag and so many people have been putting up resources and telling stories and stuff and I think that that's a really important thing for those of us that are white or present white or have a white experience to we have to educate ourselves we have to learn the stories we have to follow Killer Mike we have to yes. follow Rachel Cargill, mm -hmm. like we have to follow Layla Sad, like we have to follow all these people and like we can't know we can't know what we're fighting for if we don't know what we're fighting for. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Educate us. Absolutely. I wanted to say because I saw this was trending on Twitter and I thought it was kind of strange. So the help was trend trending on Netflix as the top post watched movie, which I think is great. But at the same time, I was like, I don't think that's, like, honestly, that, sorry, that movie was directed by a white person. Most of the focus is on a white person. I don't think that's the best movie to be watching right now. So I have a list of things on Netflix and not, not Netflix as well that you can watch. 
13th. I think that should be yeah. the number one movie that people should be watching right now. That deals specifically what what is happening in the States. Uh, Just Mercy. Love that. That's fantastic. Uh, Black Klansman, I thought, yeah. would yeah. as well. Um, I watched Detroit last night. Uh, I had not actually seen it before. Um, mm. John Boyega's in it and yeah. Anthony Mackie. Yeah. Um, that deal, dealing with the riots uh, in Detroit. Um, LA 92. That one yeah. is also I, pretty yeah. cool. I started that on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. When they see us. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Innocence Files because I do. I really like true crime documentaries, and this one specifically focuses on just the criminal justice system and how tainted it is. And when just watch it, watch a few episodes, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um. The murder to Mur- murder to mercy Cynthia Brown story. I haven't watched this yet, but that's on my list. We watched um, it. Really good. Is it okay? That's, yeah. Okay. That's, I cried true. a lot. It's oh good. no, that's not good. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. It's like good, good crying and sad crying and then good cry. It's like it's good. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Good. Um, and then my last one is they gotta they gotta have us. So with this one. Um, it's actually episodes, and they talk about Black Hollywood. I loved uh, so. it. I loved it so much. Okay, I, I really enjoyed the second episode that Black film is not a genre, because I think a lot of yeah. people will see people, like, uh, like with Black Panther, that's, the black, that's automatically its own genre, and I'm mm-hmm. like, no, it's part of fantasy, sci-fi, just because it has Black people in it does not make its own genre. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Can I add two? To yeah. Your list? Yeah. yeah. There's so this is the thing though. These are the resources. Like start educating yourselves. Yeah. Um on Netflix, Time, the Khalif Browder story. Oh that one broke like oh my yeah, you just you gotta watch that one. And then uh, oh crap. Uh, Chelsea Handler did uh diversity or race. I can't remember the name of the episode, but I think it's, it's Chelsea yeah. does. And then she loves Chelsea Handler. Yeah. <laughs> I love but, her. It was so good because it was like through a very white woman perspective, like she opened up privilege. I think it's Chelsea does privilege. Yes, Chelsea does privilege. Yeah, so good. Yeah, white people watch that. Yeah. Um, Speaking of media, I actually had this conversation. Um, Edmonton, maybe up to ten years ago, there was only one theater in Edmonton that would show a movie featuring a predominantly black cast. This just goes back to me wanting the change in our own backyard because you will see a movie with a predominantly black cast and like Cheryl Ann say classify it as a black movie. No. These are classically trained actors, actresses, who committed to their craft 100% didn't sleep, sacrificed, and they happened to be in a movie with a predominantly black cast. You not showing these movies, no matter what genre it is, comedy, romantic, thriller, whatever it is, in more than one theater, I feel adds to the problem. Because we, as Edmonton is what it is, like we are trying, we're entrepreneurs, we're this, we're that, we have Black-owned businesses. We have restaurants. We, again, going back to you want to take the music 
the food, the hair, the clothing. The movies are a big part of that. And Edmonton, we need to absolutely, again, step up and to recognize that. I wanted to leave also with a song by our queen, Beyonce. So if you've listened to Lemonade, you know that it's her response to her personal life. Within it, there's a song called Freedom. It is, um, the visual album is preceded by the song Forward. We are shown stills of mothers of Trayvon Martin, Sabrina Fulton, Michael Brown, Lee Spaden, and Eric Gardner, Gwen Carr. Eric Gardner echoes the I Can't Breathe from George Floyd, which was caught on tape, who was gesturing with his hands to police officers as he is cooperating, but they decided to treat that with unnecessary force. Freedom, I picked the song because of Kendrick's verse, Ten Hail Marys, I Meditate for Practice. Ten on nine news tell me I'm moving backwards, eight blocks left, death is around the corner. Seven's misleading statements about my persona, six headlights waving in my direction, five oh asking what's in my possession. I keep running, jump in aqueducts, fire hydrants, and hazardous smoke alarms on the back of us. But mama, don't cry for me, ride for me, try for me, live for me, breathe for me, sing for me, honestly guiding me. I could be more than I gotta be. Stole from me, lied to me, nation hypocrisy. Code on me, drive on me. Wicked, my spirit, inspire me. Like, yeah, open correctional gates in higher desert. Yeah, open our minds as we cast away oppression. Yeah, open our streets and watch for our beliefs. And when they carve my name inside the concrete, I pray it forever reads. I picked the song because of that reason, of just Kendrick as a poet coming from Compton. He he is not only an artist, he's just another black man that no matter how high up he is in status, he's always going to be watching his back as... Sherlyn, you are Afro-Caribbean, as no matter how much you inspire, you fight for what you believe in, you are one of my true best friends. As Audrey is an indigenous woman, you also inspire, you build me up, you have my back, you both do. It dreads me the day that some idiot will not see past your race and your color because they are an idiot. Um, it is up to us that if we don't understand it, to seek the education, to ask the questions, to have the hard conversations, because it is not easy. And I want to thank you ladies for having this conversation with me. I know we are long and we could probably go on for hours, but thank you for taking the time out and indulging me in this conversation. Thank you for the platform from which we can have this conversation. I think that more of this will continue to drive change and when the media moves on in a week or two as it inevitably does so we have to have keep having these conversations and without that I mean there's no way forward absolutely yeah I completely agree if we just stop having this conversation because it's no longer trending nothing's gonna change no thank you Halima (laughs) thank you for listening to what's your hustle created produced and hosted by yours truly halima hussein we'll be back in september with brand new episodes 
But until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at What's Your Hustle Podcast. Subscribe, listen, rate, review on Apple Podcasts. Follow on Spotify, as well as anywhere else you stream podcasts. And until next time, whatever your hustle is, you got this.